When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to Intelligence Squared. I'm Connor Boyle. On today's episode, Robert Hardman and David Aronovich discuss an unprecedented week for the UK's royal family with the publication of Prince Harry's widely anticipated tell-all memoir, Spare. The royal family has long tried to stick to a protocol of keeping its most tricky family matters, of which there are many, private. But this week, with the publication of his bombshell memoir, Spare, Prince Harry has chosen to share intimate details about his life and the British monarchy. Here's our host for today, Rosamond Irwin, media editor for the Sunday Times, with more. Whether you're a royal watcher or not, the headlines about Prince Harry's new autobiography, Spare, have been almost unavoidable. The memoir, ghostwritten by the American Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and author J.R. Moringer, has been under strict embargo, but accidentally went on sale last week in Spain. Soon afterwards, translated passages appeared in headlines around the world on topics ranging from Harry's virginity to the number of Taliban fighters he killed while in the army, and also his difficult relationships with his family. In contrast to his family's motto, never complain, never explain, the Duke of Sussex has opened a Pandora's box, or rather in some people's eyes, emptied Pandora's dirty laundry basket on the carefully managed image of one of the world's most famous families. Could this be a historical turning point for the British monarchy and for hereditary power? I'm joined now by the author and filmmaker Robert Hardman, who has covered aspects of royal life for more than 20 years and who writes for the Daily Mail. His latest book is Queen of Our Times, The Life of Elizabeth II, and also by David Aranovich, columnist for The Times. Welcome, both of you. Hello. Hi there. So it was only officially published this morning, but have either of you had a chance to get your hands on spare? And if so, what are your initial thoughts? Robert Hardman. Well, I've got the uh, Kindle version uh, in English, and I've also been uh, devouring the Spanish translation. I'm glad to say they're both very similar almost identical. So I, I, I have read almost all of this now. And uh, uh, my initial thoughts are that it lives up to the billing it's had for the last few days. It's, it's, it's pretty extraordinary in terms of its revelations. Uh, but I have to say, in terms of its impact on uh, the institution, on the palace, on the monarchy, I think that is, uh, it, it's fairly minimal. Well, I'd like to say that I've read the PDF in Mongolian, um, uh, but I haven't. I haven't read the book, and I'm unlikely to read the book. It's because in the kind of things that I write about, it's not really necessary. And also because it's been so incredibly well covered 
just about everywhere and inescapably that I feel that I get a very good sense from my colleagues who have read it and those who have praised about what's in it, what's surprising about it, what's relatively unsurprising about it. In other words, Harry's central thesis about his life uh, as uh, a prisoner and the way in which his life and his mother's life was poisoned by the relationship between the palace and the media, as he sees it, leaving out the third factor, which we'll come to later, which is actually the public. Um, uh, so I don't, I, I don't kind of feel that I'm going to have to go right the way through it. I don't need to know about how Harry lost his virginity any more really than Harry needs to know about how I lost mine uh, and so on. But I can see why there is significantly more prurient interest in his virginity than there would be in my case. For a lot of people, um, particularly perhaps uh, British people, uh, sharing this level of, of information, particularly about your family and, and other private matters, it makes them cringe rather. Do you think, Robert, that this will be received differently in the US? Having spent some time in my life in the US, I, I think they probably uh, they may find it slightly less objectionable. But I think even there, I, I'm already detecting a sense that uh, Harry sort of crossed a line that these sort of family disputes um, really do uh, belong within the family, um, and the and the. You know, just some of, some of the, the the small scale stuff. He he must know how not just irritating, but how how disappointing, how very upsetting in, in, in places. A lot of this stuff will be for his family. I mean, it's all very well for him to say that I'm saying all this because the palace has been colluding with the press all these years. I I mean, even if that was true, and I I, I, I would obviously dispute that. Um, I I don't think that excuses. Um, some of the really kind of belittling stuff about battles between two small boys, which would be intensely personal. I mean, I remember when the royal family were very upset back in the 50s when their former governess, Marion Crawford, um, wrote a book, um, which was very sugary. It was all utterly nice and charming and lovely, but they still felt the sense of betrayal that these sort of precious childhood moments, these moments of innocence have been put on the public stage. I mean, Harry's done this to a, to a completely different level. Um, and I, I think you don't. You can be a Republican, a Royalist, American, a Brit, or a Mongolian, indeed, as David says, um, and still feel pretty queasy at moments. Did you really need to tell us that, Harry? And David, do you, do you think similarly on that? The international audience might be souring a little on them too. I honestly have no idea. Um, I, I, I mentioned hypocrisy uh, at the beginning, and people are immensely hypocritical about this. Uh, in one breath, they're inclined to say, isn't it terrible that Harry has said all these things? And in the second, to buy whatever comes their way, in which other people have already invaded that privacy in all kinds of egregious, egregious ways. If you would show me a British public that had taken no interest whatsoever, had condemned the Charles Camilla phone call, which mentioned him being a tampon, which not only made it to the front pages of all kinds of newspapers based on this, uh, on a wireless, uh, essentially a wireless hack, um, which was sold to the papers, but also made it into the Crown uh, series as a major drama, because some years later, if you can stomach all that and say that was fun and that was interesting, it seems to me extraordinarily hypocritical to then go around and say, oh, Harry's given away a bit much. So that's one side of it. The other side of it, of course, is that all memoirs, which are frank, are essentially betrayals of the other people in them. 
that is pretty much inevitable because people don't see things in the same way. Camilla, for example, has her own story to tell. We don't know what it is, and she can't possibly be in a position to to say what that uh, to, to to say what that story is. Unfortunately, that is kind of implicit in the genre to a certain extent. And if we can say that Harry hasn't really given sufficient attention to how she might feel about it, um, then we can probably put that down as a product of of what is a memoir, really, of an incredibly hurt child. I mean, an incredibly, a very, very hurt child, which, by the way, is exactly what we should have expected, given what happened to him and what he experienced. One of the papers, one of the newspapers in the UK, described this as the worst crisis the royal family had faced in 30 years. That that seemed extraordinary hyperbole to me, Robert. I wondered if you think it could do long-term damage, this book, to the royal family and their standing with the British public specifically. I don't think it's by any stretch um, the worst crisis of the last uh, 30 years. Um, I mean, 30 years takes us back to uh, the Annus Horribilis, the year of um, the Andrew Morton book, which I think was far more damaging uh, than this one. It takes us back to uh, the collapse of three royal marriages, endless rows about royal finances, taxation, all culminating in the fire at Windsor and really ushering in a five-year low for the monarchy, um, which um, reached its nadir, of course, in ninety-seven with the death of Diana, Princess of Wales, which really goes to the heart, of course, of, of this book. Um, yes, it's it's definitely a a, a, a big royal scandal. Um, I wouldn't even go as far as to call it a crisis. Um, what you had in the 90s was a very serious sort of threat to the, 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 the standing, the, the long-term future of the monarchy. I mean, when Diana went on that now notorious panorama, uh, interview in 1995 of Martin Bashir, a, 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 a program that is, is so fraught with wrongdoing in every regard that that's another debate for another day. But uh, you know, Panorama that was a very serious um, crisis, constitutional issue, I would argue, because it, it it did call into question the entire royal succession. That's not that's not an issue here. This is about frostbitten penises and rows about dog bowls and he broke my necklace. This is not. Uh, wither a thousand years of history. And David, what do you think? Well, I think that must be true. I mean, uh, to, to believe it's some kind of great constitutional crisis, you either have to believe one of two things. First is that there's going to be such a disaster that the fifth in line to the throne currently, and God knows where he'll be in a couple of years' time, is going to take over. That's kind hearts and coronets territory, whereby <laughs> everybody kind of gets snuffed out uh, one by one or in some great kind of disaster. Uh, so Harry's not going to be the head of state. So it has no bearing on that. So the second thing you have to imagine is that somehow or other, when King Charles, who is not a young man, uh, also goes to meet his maker and to rejoin his mother, um, uh, that somehow or other people will turn around and say about uh, William, no, you can't take over being king because you pushed your brother on a dog bowl um, in 2019. Well, they're not going to do that either. That's not really the problem about the monarchy. I mean, if we've learned one thing this year from the death of the Queen and the taking over uh, by Charles, it is that it is a rather kind of 
a seamless succession. Hereditary monarchy in that sense, as a kind of powerless head of state, or more or less powerless head of state, works rather well. Its downside is that hereditary monarchy are based on uh, uh, succession, etc., it will sometimes give you dim princes as kings or, or princesses as queens, but it doesn't really matter if they're particularly dim as long as they do what they have to. I suppose they, one of the questions is by sort of pulling back the curtain on royal life, is he chipping away at part of what makes it appealing on a global stage, but also to the British public? David, what do you think? Well, for heaven's sake, what did we think? I mean, what did we actually think? We've been through Diana. We've been through Squidgygate. We've been through... We knew, we know that this is a facade insofar as we don't know very much about it, that will, when it is taken aside, show us people with, you know, with very kind of human responses like the rest of us. And in a way, it, it may even be that Harry's done everybody a favour by reminding us uh, that we're not talking about superhumans here. And so I've seen, I've seen it put by some really pompous um, uh uh, uh, commentators, that actually Prince William, on the one hand, represents kind of the old idea of duty and fidelity, and that Harry represents this terrible kind of modernity of individuation, etc., as if it was kind of two polarities posed. But only really in their minds. The fact is that people embody both. People both have private lives, and they also, in their cases, have public lives, which in Harry's case is intolerable to him, forced upon him, and uh, 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 as it was. So I think actually, I think in many ways, we know that this is the reality, even if we don't know precisely what the reality was. I go back to it, though, um, uh, uh, really, um, not only would we anticipate that this is how people actually are, because we know how families actually are, but also we have in our heads asked the question all the time, what are they really like? What are they really like? What are they really like? We can hardly complain if finally we've got the answer. And Robert, when we've had the Netflix documentary, Six Parts, uh, we've now had three television interviews. Um, there doesn't seem much sign, and, and obviously there's talk of a Meghan memoir, although that, that seems um, fairly uh, speculative at this stage. But this couple don't seem to be going quietly into the Californian night. Um, what do we expect from Harry once the sort of furore around the memoir has died down? What What do you think will keep this going? Will he... Will he keep being this sort of thorn in the royal family's side? Well, it, it is his uh, his USP. I mean, I don't think anyone's queuing up to hear his views on anything else. However much he wants to tell us that Man Nelson Mandela was a great statesman, I don't think we need him to tell us that. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was, you know, I'm an ex-royal is, is going to be the, the central um, the sort of calling card for both of them. I mean, it's quite interesting now that they... I, I did the sums the other day. So I think it was about 680 days they were a royal couple. They've now been a, a post-royal couple for getting on for a 1,000 days. So they've been post-royal longer than they were royal. I mean, obviously, Harry has his whole story to tell, his life story. But in terms of the sort of the, the, the Sussex era, if you like, I mean, it was very short. Um, and I think they've told us all we, we really could possibly know about it. I mean, unless we're going to get, you know, itemise what I have for breakfast on, on day 53, it's sort of all out there. Um, so what do they do next? I did think it was very interesting that the book really does stop short. And I did hear this from publishing sources. Harry actually uh, was trying to stop the book 
uh, at the wedding. He said, I, I don't really want to go beyond that, which, of course, Penguin Random House went, uh-uh, I don't think we're going to do that. Um, but, but you know, the, the vast majority of the book is pre-Megxit, if you like, um, which does leave clear um, uh, 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 that, that sort of substantial part, the, the, the sort of Sussex period for um, greater uh, analysis in a in a, in a in a in a in a book by Megan, which I dare say will be coming down the tracks at some point. Um, but beyond that, um, beyond relentlessly going over and over and over, uh, who made who cry at which bridesmaid dress fitting, um, and you know what 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 really happened um, in the fish market in Fiji, and and you know why was the um, the birth of Archie announced, um, you know, eight hours late, and all this sort of stuff. I mean, you know, this, this sort of royal anarchy um, that, 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 that keeps, you know, uh, those of us in, 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 in the press who cover this, you know, keeps us busy. But it's not, it's not, you know, earth-shattering stuff. And I, I just can't really see what the global appetite is going to be for more and more of the same in a year or two's time, um, because, you know, their wedding was in 2018. We're now five years on. We're coming up for fifth, their fifth anniversary. Um, you know, I think move on, maybe. One of the threads running both through the Netflix series and the interviews that Harry has done to promote the memoir is his desire to expose the relationship between the palace and the press, specifically the British tabloid press. Um, do you think people are listening in that regard and also, do we think Harry, Prince Harry is actually talking about a relationship that's quite historical and actually these relationships have changed quite a lot in recent years, Robert? Uh, well, I think, you know, I think you're right. I mean, the, the, these, these are relationships that, that constantly evolve as, as relationships do between any organisation and the media. I mean, if you read the book, um, as I have, or even look at one or two of the interviews, um, that the, there is this sort of sense of a broad entity, the media, the press, and it's it's you know he 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 quite often um, uh, specifies the tabloid press, but quite often it's just the media as a whole um, are colluding with the palace, um, and um, that the, the stories are planted. I mean, he uses phrases like complicit, conspiracy. Trading, planting. I mean, it, it's. It, I have to say, it's, it's not a world I recognise. I mean, I, I was a royal correspondent for many years. I've been writing books and documentaries and, and reporting on this sort of space on and off for you know since Harry was a small boy, um, and and it just it, it's not like that. I mean, in, in 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 and forgive me if I'm if I'm muddling up my Bradby interview with my CBS interview with my ABC interview with the book, but they all kind of come together in a sort of um, cloud of. Of, of, of anger on his part. But, I mean, he does say time and again that, you know, every time you see the word palace sources or royal sources, that's the palace planting something. Well, it's it's not. It just it doesn't work like that any more than, you know, p political correspondence, sports correspondence, financial correspondence. Yeah, they all have their... Their, their different um, conduits for information. It's 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 a it's a much more um, nuanced thing, and 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 the idea that it's the palace in in hock with the tabloid press or the media as a whole, um, getting up in the morning and thinking how are we going to do down the Sussexes today? I mean, it's just it, it, it's 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 not like that. He may feel that that's his truth. Fine, it's my truth is 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 rather different. That's all I can say. Sp 
sponsoring the show for this episode is Marquee TV. Marquee TV is a streaming service with a difference. It's bringing you the top tier of performing arts straight into your living room or onto your device. So think dance, theatre, music, anything you might find in the West End, Broadway, or maybe a cool little experimental space too, but saving you the cost of a few tickets as well. I've got happily a bit lost in their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. Choreographer Jonathan Watkins' interpretation of George Orwell's classic 1984 was pretty cool, and I love the dance piece, Sutra, inspired by the skills of Buddhist Shaolin monks. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents. That's right, three months for only 99 cents. With the code squared, simply visit marquee.tv and use the promo code squared to dive into the world of arts like never before. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. The events calendar is filling up here at Intelligence Squared and to create each one we obviously rely on some brilliant guests and onstage talent but behind the scenes there's also a producer, a production team and the budget in the mix too. You've got to keep an eye on all of that stuff in one place. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory and HR into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. And you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because it's super easy to get started. NetSuite exists in the cloud, you see, no hardware needed. So you're cutting IT costs too. That's why over 37,000 companies have already made the move. And now by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash squared. That's netsuite.com slash squared. netsuite.com slash squared. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. And David, do you think that part of the problem here is that, like all royals, Harry actually needs the media? I mean, he's used the media, some major media companies, to get his message out there. Do people think it's a little bit hypocritical, perhaps, to be saying, I want my privacy respected, while going to the media and talking so much about his personal life? It's funny, really, because I think most of us have a view of privacy, which is that privacy means we tell you, I tell you what I want you to know about my private life. But the things I don't want to tell you about my private life, those are my, that's my privacy. And I think most of us actually, funnily enough, take that attitude. So the idea that somehow or other, it's always hypocritical if you talk about yourself personally if other people invade your privacy, I, I think is, is problematic. I mean, well, I completely agree with Robert that what he has is an overstructural view of the way in which relationships often work. It's not that it's never been like that. And in fact, Andrew Morton and others can talk about moments, particularly back in the Charles Diana days, when there probably was a little bit more deliberation about some of those things. But by and large, what happens, as I understand it, is that royal correspondents uh, hear that there's a story and then 
then try and work their sources to find out what the story is about. Um, and often what you hear, but the problem is because those sources are by nature and not by the way we work these things, anonymous, you then read a backstory into them, which can be any backstory you want. Now, one of the things that Harry also says is that he doesn't think that the principles, i.e., Charles, etc., did enough to dissuade those sources from talking to the press. That's a more sophisticated position and slightly more difficult, difficult to deal with. But one of the other things he talks about, and this is absolutely true, is that as soon as Meghan hoved onto the scene, her relatives and her friends were being offered significant sums of money to talk about her and to dish the dirt or not the dirt about her. And he found that intolerable uh, and so on. And I have to ask whether we don't also at some level feel that that is problematic, given that it's actually being done theoretically on our behalf, because we're the people who always want to read the story and who will buy the papers with the front pages that give you those stories. So it comes back to a certain extent, I think, and this is the thing that Harry doesn't acknowledge, to the really bizarre relationship that we as a people have with royalty and to a certain extent with celebrity, which is we want to be incredibly judgmental about them, but also our appetite to know things that in many ways we have no right to know is really extraordinarily high. Do you think, Robert, that the palace will continue to stay silent, at least publicly, obviously, they might be happily briefing journalists uh, on background, but is that what they will continue to do, whatever Harry says? Uh, I, I think they will for the moment. If, if, if uh, Clearly, they need to be alert to whatever is being said. That's their job. Um, I, I don't think they are particularly briefing um, at the, the, uh, uh, particularly hard on this. I mean, they've just said, look, we're not going to talk about it. The, the, there isn't a sort of central charge to answer. There's a lot, there are sort of nebulous generalisations like, oh, the palace collude with the press. And then there are individual... Um, accusations such as, um, you know, um, my brother didn't talk to me in my first term at Eton, or, you know, he nicked the bigger room, or, um, uh, you know, Kate um, didn't like lending Megan her lip gloss or something. I mean, you know, you, you're simply not going to uh, get into that. There's no way that there's any, any benefit of the palace getting into that level of, uh, of, of discussion. So I think they'll um, just stand back and let the storm blow itself out. Um, you know, as I said earlier, I, I, I think we have we really have now passed um, kind of peak Harry um, in terms of our appetite for any more of this. And I don't think they need to, uh, to say anything. I mean, I, I, I think what people will be looking out for if you like, further down the track is 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 things like, you know, do they get invited to the coronation? If they do get invited to the coronation, where are they sat at the coronation? <laughs> what role do they play? Will they appear on the balcony afterwards? I mean, you know, all these things will be discussed um, uh, further on. But at, at the moment, I think the, the although Harry says uh, in, in, in the book that, you know, um, uh, silence is abuse, I think actually silence has been uh, uh, the, the wise course of action. There's one. There's one actually. One other line I, I should have mentioned earlier, and it's around page three hundred and something. Uh, and Harry's describing in detail one of his many trips to visit his therapist, and his therapist does point out to him. He says, "Actually, you know, you're addicted to one thing. You're addicted to the media," and he he, he accepts that. So, um, I, I think that there is a need. You know, I, I, I to, to he clearly feels a need to. He's got to blame. 
Um, it's got to be a bogeyman in this, and and it's it's the press, and that's fair enough. I mean, you know, when you look at the, the, the life he's led and how a, a, a small boy would have viewed the, the the death of his mother while being chased by paparazzi through the streets, um, that that that's clearly informed and coloured the, 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 his his worldview. But uh, nonetheless, I, I think his therapist got it on the head. I, th- I think there is the, there's, there's something addictive there. Yeah, what's interesting about that, Robert, is that that is in in the book. I didn't realise that. Uh, so that is quite a significant and feels like a fairly unusual moment of self-recognition, um, which I think we just so uh, far from Harry being as one newspaper puts it or somebody puts it on the front page this morning, uh, captured by the psychotherapy cult. It looks like in this instance, the therapist might have been doing him something of a favour, but he <laughs> but he hasn't been able for various de- de- reasons of his own to, to take any notice of it. Uh, and can I, I just want to add something to something that Robert was talking about earlier and I think it I think he must have been right Tina Brown made the distinction which I thought was a useful one between royalty and celebrity royalty doesn't have to do anything in order to be uh, recognized and in the newspaper etc celebrity continuously has to remake itself and I can't see a remaking at the end of this, I can, obviously I can see that there's going to be a movie with somebody starred as Harry going to game. Of course there is. And there will be some future series of The Crown, etc. There'll be quite a lot of spin-off from this. Um, but apart from endless Megan self-help books and so on, um, uh, and maybe her, her account of coming into the royal family with some stories, etc. about that, which maybe, which is probably, if I think about it, the one thing which could still sell at the end of this. I think after that it's done. Um, what more? What more can you add? And maybe, maybe it's good that we're done with it. Um, uh, I just can't help saying a feeling at the end of all this. What a tragedy it was that Charles never got to marry Camilla in the first place. All those years ago. I mean, I mean, Robert could reflect upon this far better than I can. But can we imagine, Robert, what would have happened if those that couple hadn't just got together at the time when they first uh, uh, liked each other and put a ring on it? <laughs> and then what would have followed? Well, in 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 the in the, in the yes, in the, in the sort of scheme of royal whatifery, I mean, that's 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 a very good one, David. I mean, you know, I think it's part of the. The, the the whole royal story is, 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 is that element of chance. It's that element of, you know, you're born into it, of fate. Um, the, 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 the people are sort of, if you almost sort of put on, 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 on rail tracks from birth. Um, and, and, and that is part of its sort of um, almost primeval allure, I suppose, as a story. Um, so, yeah, what, what, you know, what, what if... I mean, you know, what if, what if, uh, as we all wish, you know, um, uh, Diana hadn't got in the car that night in 1997? Where, you know, how how would that have changed the whole uh, dynamic? I mean, it's it's these are things that that, that people will, um, you know, can 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 conjecture on for, for forever. But I mean, you know, it, it, really, we in terms of where we go next, I, I think Dave is right. I think there's there is. Um, Probably the only uh, marketable asset that the Archerwell Corporation um, still has at its disposal is is Megan's uh, inside story, and I'm sure that will be a uh, that will happen, and I'm sure it will be lucrative. But um, but you know, then after that, 
and I, I'm sure they, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're sensible. They're, they, they, they get it. You know, they, they, hopefully they've got good advisors around them. They, they need to start now. I think already planning their, their kind of post Megxit um, uh, future, their, their post sort of royal uh, narrative, um, because they're going to need one. And what about uh, the Prince of Wales? Um, do you think William? is at all damaged by this. Um, the polls rather suggest that people are on his side, but does it damage his reputation long term, you know, when further down the tracks he's going to become king? I don't think it's, it's particularly damaging for him um, uh, uh, externally. I mean, I'm sure he is extremely cross. Um, I'm sure it's it, it weighs on his mind um, because you know they were so close, and he's an intensely private person, William. And and this is, I'm sure, extreme. I, I think he found the whole uh, the, the sort of departure of his brother incredibly upsetting. Um, and 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 in that regard, um, you know, there may be some sort of internal damage. But as far as you know, reputationally, his position, his standing, where he goes next, that all just carries on. Um, you know, while I was writing my my um, biography of, of the Queen, um, and and talked to uh, talked to a lot of people inside and outside the palace, no one was sort of briefing against uh, uh, Harry or anything like that. Uh, but it was it was really interesting talking across the board. And and what came through clearly is that, is that for William, a, a key thing is not just the fact that he is you know now the next he's the heir to the throne, gearing up to be king. What he takes incredibly seriously is his role as the father of a future king and the need to make sure um, that George um, has as um, painless and seamless a, a path, if you like, to his destiny. So I think, uh, you know, he'll be, you know, William and Kate will be absorbing this um, very closely and, and just really doing that level best to make sure that, that, that you know, what, what happened to... Uh, his relationship with Harry doesn't get passed on to the next generation. God, you know, Robert, that's bleak. I mean, isn't it really to have your you, to have your existence in a funny kind of sense reduced to to that proposition? I mean, I, I, I know you meant it more kind of. I mean, you meant it generously, but one of the things, and maybe a favour that Harry has done to William is to endow him with bits of personality a more complex personality, a, an actual three, third dimension. Because one of the things I realised as you were talking, Robert, is that I have no interest in him at all because he doesn't seem to me to be in any way an interesting person. Now, that's, that's, that's obviously not true. It's not right to write off somebody in that kind of a way who you barely know simply because they're incredibly discreet uh, and so on. But... Oh dear, being heir to the throne, I mean, and thinking that that is your duty and actually being born to it as and have no, no escape. No, oh, would you fancy it, Robert? Would you? I, honestly, no, I'm no, glad well, I escaped it. <laughs> as, as, as Prince Charles once said, it's not being Prince of Wales is not a position, it's a predicament. <laughs> um, you know, that, that it, it is when we get back to that, and, and, and I know it's a, it sounds very sort of old fashioned to say it, but the, the, you know, the concept of duty, I mean, that. This is where the duty bit does kick in, um, and it just so happens that because we've had a monarch who for the last 70 years just got on with it, um, and got on with it so well and so dutifully, uh, that, that we just sort of rather took it for granted. And I think perhaps at the, at the moment, we, we you know, quite apart from uh, Harry's book, just the, 
the the events of of really since you know the death of the Duke of Edinburgh and then of the Queen um, have have sort of focused the mind on 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 the fact that you know this is a this family is sort of central to the the the, the sort of psyche of the of, of the nation in many ways it is it's its fortunes are the sort of punctuation marks of of of, of our sort of social history. Um, I appreciate that's not for everybody. I totally get that. I appreciate that for a substantial minority, they'd like to do away with the whole thing and, and have an elected head of state. But you know, in in, in broad terms, um, the monarchy does have the, a, a, a much more deep rooted place at the heart of our public life. And uh, frankly, if if you know, if William suddenly turned around and, and said he didn't want anything to do with it, then that, that really would be a crisis. <laughs> um, a final thought on the book. Obviously, the title is Spare, and we do know that is a difficult position too. It's not just difficult being the heir, it's difficult being the spare. I mean, we had Margaret, we had Andrew. Um, obviously, they had their problems in their own way. One of my suspicions reading it and watching those interviews and the Netflix series too is that Harry was looking for a way out. And while we call it Megxit, I mean, I do think this is much... This was, you know, really what he wanted. He wanted to take it out of turning into Margaret or Andrew. So what's there left for Princess Charlotte to do? And 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 then poor old Prince Louis doesn't even really get a thought in there. Um, what what rebellion is there left once you've had those three as your predecessors in that role? I have to say, I mean, and I mean this really well, I honestly don't care. Um, you know, I mean, if it wasn't for what Andrew had been accused of, I mean, who who really talks about Prince Edward very much? I'm not saying he's not a perfectly estimable person, etc. But nobody, but nobody, but nobody really does. I was thinking, as we were talking earlier, that being the heir in itself and being told that you are is a bit like being told at the age of eight that you're going to be looking after your invalid parent for the rest of your life because all your because all your brothers and sisters have gone away to live in Australia. Um, you know, that's the kind of notion of duty in a sense, which it kind of, you have no choice about it. Most of us have a little bit of choice about our duties or they come at a kind of point where we, where we, where we can't necessarily see it coming, but we know, but we know that it may arrive at some point and, and so on. Um, uh, one of the things that I understand, and again, this is something that Robert will understand better than I do, is that King Charles wants to make the situation less onerous for spares. In other words, to make them less significant, to make what they do less important so that they can lead more normal lives off the public purse, out of the uh, out of the limelight, if that's what they want to do. And I really applaud that. I mean, I personally would like to see us move towards a more continental style of monarchy, although it has to be said that there's no continental style of monarchy that hasn't come with its own problems from time to time. You only have to look at Spain um, uh, to, understand, to understand that. And so I think that would probably be a good idea. Uh, really. Um, and so the next thing that we're all going to be talking about, I suspect, is what kind of, co- should it be a, a huge, enormous, vast kind of feather-tossed coronation, or should it be slightly more modest than that? I mean, everybody, including the Republicans, wants a degree of pageantry uh, in, all, in all this. But should we be placing quite so much emphasis on the size of the family? And I suspect that the answer that will be coming forward from the new king is no. But as I said, I defer to Robert, who knows vastly more about this than I do. <laughs> well, I, I, thank you, David. But, I, you know, we, as you point out, um, you know, the king's um, desire for a 
more slimmed down monarchy. I mean, we, we, we were sort of getting a whiff of that for, for, for some years now. And of course, it is a slimmed down uh, monarchy. It can't really get much slimmer. Um, and, you know, uh, you asked Ros, what about, what, what about spares in the future? I mean, don't forget the, the Queen herself. She was the daughter of the spare. Um, you know, Bertie, Duke of York, he was never meant to be king. The abdication suddenly sort of threw him into that role. And I think that's why all through her life, she had this great sympathy for the younger ones. Um, you know, she, she saw that in Margaret. People would often get incredibly exasperated with Princess Margaret when she was being particularly difficult or rude about something. Um, but the Queen, at the back of her mind, she always had that sympathy for, yeah, well, you know, I, I, I got dealt the, 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 the generous hand and she's in this sort of supporting role. And I think it accounted for the, the, the Queen's great um, indulgence of Andrew. Um, and I think it, in, it, right to the end, she was incredibly supportive of of Harry when the whole Mexit deal was being thrashed out. It was a queen who was insisting on on sort of twelve month review clauses, just so you know, on the off chance they might want to um, come back, so that they'd be welcome. Um, but I would point to another spare who I think shows an alternative um, way forward. Who is I think very remarkable. Who's been through um, her own troubles in, in, in the past. When she was younger, she had a terrible relationship uh, with the press, but is pretty much universally uh, admired. And that's the Princess Royal. Um, you know, she's someone who, who again, her, her role was sort of allotted early on. You know, you're, you're going to be in a supportive role, but don't ever think of, you know, having the top job because you ain't going to get it. Uh, and she has been uh, remarkable, I think, um, for now well over half a century. I, I, I made a program on her for her 70th birthday, and it was exhausting just sort of following around the place for a, for, 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 for a few months. Um, you know, the, 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 that sort of level of, and again, it's this duty thing. And there is someone I, I know in the Harry book, there's this idea that the Royal Family constantly you know, competing for headlines and publicity. I mean, here, the Princess Royal Summer is absolutely competing for non-publicity. I mean, half the time, you know, it, it would, 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 would much be much happier if there were no press somewhere at all. And it didn't make any sort of waves at all, except perhaps in, in the local paper. But gets on because I, she understands, as I think they all do, that um, it's not about tomorrow's headlines. It's about a much sort of deeper investment in, in, in public life. And it is true. When you go around the country, and I always do this when I go on a royal event, and you, you see they're about to do a royal walkabout, and you, either before or after the walkabout, you talk to the people in the crowd, and you say, have you ever seen a member of the royal family before? And if they're an adult, um, children obviously not, but most adults will get, well, yeah, actually, I, you know, we once saw you know, Princess Royal at the hospital, or the Queen came to this, or um, my granny saw Bruno Prince Charles open the local fire station or whatever. Um, most people will have seen, with their own eyes, a member of this very small family at some point in their lives. And then you say to them, and who is your MP? And they go, oh, I don't know. And it just, I think, underpins that sense of, you know, the monarchy, it's, it's different. Of course it's not. It doesn't run the country. It never should. It's it's there in a, in a different guise. Monarchs reign. They don't govern. But it fulfills a role. And I think it'll be doing that. Unless there is some some you know huge uh, unexpected catastrophe, I think we're on track for it to do so. Certainly for the rest of my life. Robert and David, thank you very much. Thank you. You're welcome. That was David Aranovich and Robert Hardman. Robert's book Queen of Our Times: The Life of Elizabeth II is available now. I'm Rosamund Irwin, and you've been listening to Intelligence Squared. Thanks so much for joining us. <laughs>